All right. Um, there's only one thing I, I, I'm dead serious. There's only one thing I don't like about college ministry. Uh, there's two, I guess. I don't, I don't like opinions about the way I dress. Uh, but I just don't. People, make com- people feel the need to make comments all the time about what I wear. Uh, and that's just super weird to me. Um, I'm 36. I think I'm 36. Maybe I'm 36. I think I'm 36. Um, so it's okay. Anyway, um, but the thing I really don't like about college ministry uh, and I get asked this a lot. Um, I've been in college ministry now. This is my 13th year. Um, and I love it. Like I, uh, and it's because I, I love you guys. It's such a freaking honor to have you invite us into your lives. Um, it, it's absolutely crazy. I know I didn't earn this. Like we didn't earn this. Uh, and one of the hardest things for me about it is everybody keeps leaving. Um, and it's so stupid. Like everybody keeps leaving. And I know it has to happen. Like nobody wants to stick around in college. Well, if you want to stick around in college for 20 years, uh, I probably don't want you to be here for 20 years. But, um, but really, it's really difficult when people keep leaving. And I talk about, I think recently this is, I've started to realize this. I talk about the new heavens and the new earth a lot. Like if you know me, you probably know that that comes up quite a bit in my vocabulary. I think about it a lot. I think we're supposed to be riveted by the hope that God laid before us. Um, but I think it's like uniquely a big part of my vocabulary and the way I think, because I, I, I have to hold out hope that I get to see all of you guys again, <laughs> uh, that I get to share life with you because this isn't uh, like a typical sort of local church setting where 10% of the population rotates out or 5% does, but 90% or something sticks around for 50 years, which I would love, but, uh, but everybody keeps leaving and it's, it's super, super hard. So um, just show up in the resurrection. That'd be really cool. We can hang out. Uh, okay. Um, uh, so right now there's this weird moment. I want to preach uh, and I can't take hours as much as I want to, but uh, uh, I have this sort of thought in my mind. So in the mornings, most mornings, um, I take my son to school. He's seven. And there's this moment right before we walk out the door that my wife, for some reason, never has, I think, because she's way better prepared than I am. But as we're walking out the door, I'm like, did you get your water bottle? Okay, backpack, book. You feed the dogs? Did you brush your teeth? Because your mom's going to kill us if you don't brush your teeth, you know, like that sort of thing. And I'm, I'm like going through this checklist in my mind of all these things I'm probably forgetting. And I have that sort of feeling right now. <laughs> uh, this is the last sort of worship service of the school year. And uh, I'll see many of you again. I mean, the next week, everybody's going to be uh, not studying in the hub and those sorts of things. But, um, but I just sort of have this feeling of like, ah, did you, don't forget, don't forget things. So it's just a couple of things before um, we get into the sermon. And one is, uh, and we say this at random times throughout the year and, this is so, um, it doesn't even come close to adequately expressing anything, but uh, I just want to say thank you to all the student leaders that are here. So we've got, if you, if you aren't on a leadership team, you may not realize like, I don't know, 60 or 70 students or something. I don't even know how many people are in the student leadership. I probably should know that. I don't know. But uh, we have student interns that I can't tell you guys how many hours many of them have put in all year, worship team, hours every week, hospitality team, liturgy team, publicity team, prayer team, freshman ministry team, after party team, court, am I missing other teams? Core group leaders, some folks in our residence houses that have tried really hard to help form and, and make rich Christian community. Y'all, and, and those are just people like in, in sort of stated positions of some kind, like, and there's so many more of you that come alongside and do college ministry with us. I, I say this sometimes, I don't know if you think about it this way, but like the campus, like they, when they think about the house, they don't think about me. And they don't think about Kirsten, they think about you. That's what they think about. 
And it's, it's so rich to, to think about that. And so I just thank you guys for all of you that make this community what it is. And that's amazing. Um, this summer, I've said this the past few weeks, but uh, we get asked all the time uh, if we ever work other than Tuesdays, and the answer is sometimes. Um, and then uh, this summer, uh, if we get asked if we work during the summer, like we take the whole summer off or something. But there'll be uh, a few of us still around on staff all summer long, and we'd love to meet with you if you're in town um, or if you're going through something over the summer. We'll, we'll be happy to, to connect with you over the phone or uh, some kind of awkward FaceTime thing or something. Um, uh, but truly, truly, we'd, we'd be happy to connect with you. Kirsten and I and Susanna will be on staff all summer. Um, we'd love to meet with you. And then we have in June and July, we do a Tuesday night cookout uh, and Bible study, kind of a, a just come when you want. It's in lieu of this. And it's one of my favorite times all year um, is the community of folks that gather throughout the summer and hang out and study stuff together. Um, and the last thing is I just want to pray for you before we get into the sermon. I'll, I'll probably pray a couple times to, but uh, throughout the sermon, but I, I'm mindful at this point of all the changes that happen over summers. Like I, I've either been in college or worked in the college setting now for like 18 years and summers are, are a, a kind of a wild time um, and lots of stuff happens. And so um, I basically wanna pray for you. I'm gonna talk about some summer stuff in the sermon as well, but, but if you can, I wanna pray for you guys just kind of as a send off of sorts, even though I'll see you for the next couple of weeks, I don't know if I'll get this opportunity again. So let's pray together, all right? Um, Father, first and foremost, I wanna thank you for all that you've done in the lives of everybody here in this room. I, I pray that your spirit would lead us to pause and reflect on the story that you've wrought in our lives throughout this year. In some ways it has gone so fast from August till now. But when I think back, there's so many things that have happened. People we didn't know, stories we never shared, experiences that we didn't know would happen, things we've learned about you and the world and ourselves. I thank you for what you've done. I wanna pray, Father, we wanna pray together for all of our interns and our seniors leaving that you'd equip them for the work of your church in whatever community they find themselves in, through work, through discipline, through friends and mentors, through the work of your local churches, would you equip them to be about your kingdom and your righteousness? For all the juniors, Father, would you make this next year rich with responsibility and fruit from so much growth during their time in college? I pray that senior year would be a kind of, the, the whole thing would be a capstone over their experience in college. For the sophomores right now, Father, may the next year be a year that they're established in their identity and may you anoint their friendships and their relationships with their families with peace and vulnerability. For the freshmen, I pray, Father, um, that the next year would be full of courage and boldness and discernment for how to spend their time. For all of us, Father, every single one of us in this room, would you bring us to a deeper knowledge and love of you still? Make us your disciples who know our God as a good Father. Would you make us salt and light in the world? Would you make us loving people to the uttermost because we've been loved to the uttermost? And the rest of the time we spend together and all that we've done so far tonight, may it be pleasing and glorifying to you May you receive our praise, our thanks, our songs, our listening, the meditations of our minds and hearts. May you receive all this, Father, as, as um, pleasing to you. Would you please be glorified in that and take pleasure in us.
Would you speak through me now in your word? Keep me tied to your word. Keep me from heresy. May I speak truth and may your kingdom come and your will be done through it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, do me a favor, get your Bibles out. We're looking at Matthew chapters five through seven. We'll be focusing at the end of chapter seven. Um, Tonight, the whole semester, we've been looking at Matthew chapters five through seven, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the five major sermons of Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, and it's arguably his most famous, right? So, uh, and as the story of Jesus unfolds in the gospel of Matthew, we find crowds following him and Jesus goes up the side of this hill to teach all those people who are following him about his kingdom, all right? So I, I've expressed this over and over again this semester, but that's the setting that we're in right now, okay? What does God's kingdom look like? Jesus, you've been talking about it, healing, preaching, and he begins to give us this picture, right? And, and we use, honestly, we use the word kingdom a lot in this ministry. Uh, it's just a vocabulary word that kind of, it, it's all through the New Testament, of, especially in the, in the mouth of Jesus, in the history of the church, it's big. Our staff talks about it a lot. And I just kind of had this moment, I wasn't intending to have the sermon originally go this direction, but I wanna spend just a minute and maybe define what the kingdom of God is because we use that word a lot or we, we talk about kingdom a lot. And sometimes I don't think we pause to define some of the words that we use all the time. So what do we mean by kingdom? Would you throw that first slide up, brother? So the kingdom of God, I'm gonna define it this way. There's all sorts of definitions. I think this is helpful. Um, if you do take notes, you might wanna write this down. Uh, kingdom of God is God's creation under God's rule, right? So all of everything can be divided into two categories, right? It's God and other, like it's God and creation, right? And, and when God's creation is under God's rule, when it looks like the way God intends for it to look and he's in charge and these sorts of things, this is what uh, Jesus would mean by God's kingdom, okay? Um, and, and this incorporates who is God, what, the way of life, and where, all creation. Who, what, and where. God's creation under God's rule. Jesus spoke about it so often. Honestly, the, the thing he spoke about more than anything else is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Okay, the kingdom of heaven is the term he usually uses. He was over and over again telling his followers what things will look like under the rule of God. More than that, I think, uh, and this may be helpful, it may be confusing for some of you, I don't know, but I, I thought it may be helpful. Um, most Christians have understood the kingdom in these kind of four very distinct ways. So God's creation under God's rule, but would you put up that next slide for me, brother? So these are the four ways that we've sort of understood what his kingdom can look like, right? We've understood his kingdom as coming from heaven, that it's, it's, it's something that has yet to happen. So we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, like there's a future coming of it. I'm praying that, 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 that what's out here would come into the present. I'm praying that you lead us into it. That when we speak of God's creation under God's rule, there's a sense in which many of us think, and this is a part of what Jesus means, of a future reality. There's also a second way, in the word of God proclaimed. Some of the languages kind of come up today, and this overlaps a little bit with the, with the fourth one. But, but when Jesus preaches and when his word is proclaimed, Christians for centuries have understood that there's the kingdom of heaven is breaking through into the present as the gospel is proclaimed. R- right now, as the word of God is read and preached, the kingdom of God is breaking through into the, our very midst of this moment. And Christians have understood the kingdom of God. God's creation under God's rule is, is breaking through. The phrase that comes up over and over and over again in the mouth of Jesus is it's at hand or it's near. It's so close you could touch it. It's actually, it started 
but it's not finished yet. It's busting through right now into the present. The, the third way is in our hearts. We've understood the kingdom of God beginning to take root in our hearts and the hearts of his people through his spirit's presence in the life of Christians. That there begins to be a kind of uh, God begins to alter and change our des- the desires of our hearts and we are renewed in our minds as, as followers of Jesus. And we begin to find that we become, some people would argue this way, we become, dis- we become sort of outposts of his kingdom in the world. That there's this space somewhere in my life that looks more like the kingdom of God than other places in this world. And God is advancing his kingdom around the world and drawing more and more people into it. And that's sort of in the hearts of people. But there's a fourth way, and this might be some of the easiest way to understand it, that God's kingdom under God, God's creation under God's rule has shown up in history through Israel, through Jesus, and now the church. And so I don't know if this is helpful for you. I just, sometimes we talk about words like kingdom a lot and we never really define them, you know? And so I thought maybe it'd be helpful for you to know that when Christians talk about the kingdom of God, it does actually entail place and it actually entails king and it actually entails way of life it really really does there's a really popular phrase that's been around for a long long time in christian circles called the already not yet and it's that god has already begun a work and he's not yet finished it and we live in this tension in the middle and we start we see certain things inaugurated but not completed and all this kind of stuff and it can get kind of confusing but but it makes sense of our experience that I get to say I actually have experienced or seen or tasted some of the kingdom of God, but I haven't seen it in its fullness yet. In my heart, in history, in Jesus. When I pray for it to come, and yet at the same time I know that it will have to happen one day still. Okay, it's a big robust idea, but I'm gonna talk about kingdom a lot tonight in the end of this sermon. Jesus, I think, was giving us a picture of his kingdom. And so I wanna just, that, that top sentence is probably more important than anything else. And when you hear it, Jesus is talking about what things will look like what is the image you can conjure up what is the reality of our lives what do things look like when God's creation is under God's rule and at the time that Matthew lays out this sermon of Jesus in chapters five through seven there's much misunderstanding about the kingdom of God what does it look like to see God's creation under God's rule they don't have the right idea about what the redeemed creation will look like I can't really get into that, but if you have questions about where these misperceptions lie and what they are, I'd love to talk to you about it after, just come find me. But like, they had a misperception about what God's creation under God's rule would look like when it was redeemed. They don't know about the church yet. That's part of their misperception. And they don't see clearly the kingdom's grip on the hearts of God's people. They have misunderstandings of these things. So Jesus, the word in flesh, commands his kingdom to break through in this moment through his preaching. That in his very preaching, the kingdom of God is drawing closer and closer to the hearts of men and women. Through his words, he images for them his kingdom and his words. He blesses, he corrects, he commands, he comforts, he assures, he warns. The kingdom in his very preaching is breaking through. And do we see pictures of what's coming? If you've been with us this semester, do we see pictures of it? Do we sense that it is breaking through into our hearts and mind even when we hear Jesus begin to preach about his kingdom? Do we feel it drawing close to us, crashing up against our thoughts and challenging the dispositions of our mind and the thoughts that we came into this conversation with? Do we recognize the kingdom already present in Jesus? The Sermon on the Mount is is Jesus giving his disciples a picture of that kingdom. What will it look like to see God's creation under God's rule? 
And I think a good picture of this kingdom is given to us by Jesus in the sermon, okay? That's a big summary of what Jesus was doing in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessing, I'm gonna just give you a snapshot. Blessings for the poor, the mourners, the meek, the ones who are hungry for righteousness. His kingdom will be full of a people of reconciliation and honor and integrity and loving enemies. The giving to the poor in prayer and fasting will all be done for God and not for show. That anxiety will be replaced by a radical trust in a pursuit of God's righteousness. That there would be sober and humble judgments among us. And everyone will turn their desires to the Father who gives good gifts. Jesus, of course, summarizes it by saying, love is just will cover the kingdom as far as the east is from the west. And it will be the very way of life. That's the picture of the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like when God's creation is under God's rule. And Jesus warns us over and over again in the sermon at the end that we may miss what he's getting at. So we must look around and within us at things which resist his kingdom. We must, above all, not simply hear his words, but we must respond to them in action, right? That's his sermon. That's Matthew 5 through 7, right? And after all that, what I just said or what you've heard or what you've read, here's the question. What stands out to you the most? Upon hearing Jesus speak about the kingdom of God like this, what is impressed most upon you? We know what was impressed upon the first listeners. All those gathered around him on the side of that mountain to hear him. We know what impressed them. What impressed them the most was not the pronouncement of blessings. Though the blessings were scandalous and almost incomprehensible, read them. They're crazy. It's not his insistence that we must be perfect. He insisted that, friends. Though that seems impossible, it wasn't the thing that was impressed upon them most was not his interpretation of the law, although that was scathing for everybody who thought they had it together. If you think you have it together, read the last half of Matthew chapter 5. It was not his teaching on our piety in chapter 6, although that unclothes us, I think, and exposes our motives. It wasn't his words about judgment, though they call us to account. It wasn't his call for us to trust the Father and pursue the kingdom of the Son. Though I think if we hear him, our hearts are caught up in hope when he says that. It wasn't even his warnings. Though in them, he reveals like the whole creation as a battlefield for our affections, truly. What was it that impressed them the most? It wasn't a single thing which impressed them the most. It was him. It was Jesus. The man stood taller than the words. Listen to this. We put that slide up in Matthew 7, 28, 29. This is how the Sermon on the Mount ends, right? When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. Because why? Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. All of the things he said, did you hear the way he talked? Not even our scribes talk like that. Not even the experts talk like that. It wasn't because of a single way he said, a thing that he said, it's because of the way he said it all. In what way was it? As one who had authority. It was his authority that was laid up in their hearts and in their minds. And I want you to think about this for a minute with me in terms of authority, right? How many of you, raise hands, how many of you have papers due in the next week? Okay, probably all of you do. If you didn't raise your hands, check your syllabus. Okay, uh, <laughs> wow. Uh, Okay, if you make any claim, any claim 
in a paper. What do you have to do with that claim? You have to back it up, right? You have to back up your claims. You have to quote some person. You have to cite some study, demonstrate something which lends credibility to your claim, okay? I remember as a general rule, like in high school, I needed something like three sentences or something like that, like three kind of explanation sentences for every kind of claim that I made. And, and the teacher or the professor needs to see footnotes or citations. Why? Why do they need to see footnotes and citations? Yeah, it's, I think really, I mean, there's many ways to describe this, but one way is because we are prone to claiming things that we just can't back up by our own authority. You are not the authority, friends, and so you need to demonstrate whose authority backs up your claims. Okay, so with that in mind, just for a second, okay, I want you to look at something. I want you to look with me at a list of quotations from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. All of these are taken from this singular sermon. Will you put that slide up? Look at what's in well, orange or yellow or whatever you see here, okay? I say to you, I tell you, I say to 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 you, I don't know where. I tell you, not everyone who says to me, the will of my father. On that day, many will say to me, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. Oh, I didn't make those ones orange. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, everyone who hears these words of mine, I want you to imagine that your college paper was written like this. I tell you, I say to you, I will declare. Like, how do you think that would fly, really, okay? Professor, here's what I think. You know, I don't even, you know, I mean, truly, how do you think that kind of language would fly? And the reason why it doesn't fly. Your opinion does not carry authority. That's why. It doesn't carry the kind of authority you need to write a college, an undergraduate college paper. It wouldn't fly if you were talking about even the most arbitrary and minute aspect of the world. And Jesus is talking about God. And he's talking about God's law, and he's talking about God's reign in the world. And when he talks about God, this is what he says over and over again, I say, I tell you this, even going so far as to say that on the day of judgment, you're going to be speaking to him. More than anything else, what was impressed upon the hearts and minds of those first disciples was his authority. He spoke like he didn't need another. He spoke like he was there in the beginning. He spoke like he was going to be there in the end. And he spoke like all we have to do is trust him. I know what the experts say. I know what the statistics are saying. I know what's on the news. I know what your history has been. I know what you're afraid of. I know what you really want, but I say to you. It's the way Jesus speaks. And they were amazed. And they stood in awe. Remember, he, they had been seeing him work. He already had credibility on the streets with them. And then he speaks with this kind of authority. No one speaks like this. Not even the experts speak like this. For all the particulars of the kingdom of God, what is most amazing is him. The one who has authority over it. And over and over again, friends, this is the kind of response we find from the accounts of Jesus' life. He spoke with authority. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I and the Father are one. Jesus claimed to have the authority. He himself claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. Heaven and earth will pass away, he said, but my words 
will not pass away. Or perhaps most clearly, he said at the end of the gospel in Matthew, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority. This is what it means when we call Jesus Lord, by the way. When we call him Lord, we're declaring that he is to be obeyed and followed over, again, over and against all rivals. He is the authority. Who on earth is like Jesus? Who on earth was like him before him? Or after him? He who was in the beginning, he who reigns at the Father's side, he who will be there with us in the end, eternally. All of the universe was made by, for, and through Jesus. Do you know this? He makes it abundantly clear in history. He spoke the universe into creation, the very one sitting or standing on the side of that hill. He has all authority in heaven and earth. And this one, this Jesus who stands tall and singular in the midst of his sermon, this one who amazes by the authority with which he speaks, this is what he says as he sends his disciples out. This last slide would be great if I sent it to you. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Because he has all authority, because what he says is actually true, right, about him, about God, about us, about you, about the world, because he is right and because he is who he says he is. I mean, who among us can even do that? Who among us even gets to stand in authority and say, here's who I am? With all his authority, and because he has authority, we can actually go and do the things he commands. We can go and make disciples. We can baptize. We can teach others to obey Jesus. And we can know that he is with us always. Why? Because he has authority. Look, I, I know that it's probably hard for some of you to see past your finals right now. Uh, or just this week. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier about how for many people, like, finals week's easier than this week. So thanks for being here. Um, but summer's just around the corner. And if it's not on your mind, I'm sure it's in your heart, okay? Um, and I, I don't know what you think summer is about. I don't know what you think it's about, but I'm telling you that it's really about whether or not you will seek his kingdom or some other one. You think it's about money? You think it's about time off or travel or an internship or a camp? Friends, those might be footnotes in your history, truly. They might be real accurate footnotes in your history. But this summer is about the same thing that every other season and every other day of your life is about. And that's the kingdom of God. And there is one who stands in authority over all of it, and his name is Jesus. But like those first century disciples, I wonder if we too easily misunderstand the kingdom. Even 2,000 years later, even knowing what they didn't know in his death and resurrection, and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the church alive and moving throughout the world. I wonder if we misunderstand it. I wonder if we look at the blessings and the commands and the promises and the warnings and we miss the king. He doesn't simply tell us, friends, hey, listen to this. He does not tell us a bunch of good ideas 
or give us an alternative way to live. That's not primarily what he's about. This is a good option. He centers himself before us and all history as the great authority over all the earth under whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord one day. That Lord, his kingdom is at hand. And you may think another kingdom's better. And the only thing I need to ask you is by what authority are you trusting that? Because you and I, we need to cite our sources. And I have a really good source who told me that his kingdom or what his kingdom looks like. It demands love from the people of the king and it offers love to everyone else and the people within the kingdom. But what dazzles me and compels me most of all is not the kingdom itself, it's the king, Jesus. The king of kings and the Lord of lords, the maker of heaven and earth and the savior of mankind. These are the kinds of titles that he has, by the way. The great shepherd of the sheep because he has compassion on us and knows that although we follow around all these other authorities in our life so often and they don't satisfy us and we feel lost, we keep following false, bad, meager shepherds and he sees his people and he has compassion on them like a shepherd for sheep does. That great shepherd would say to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, take my burden upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All authority in heaven and earth is his, that one. And he calls you and he calls me and he who calls you, he who calls us is faithful. He will surely do all that he's promised. All that remains, friends. At the end of his sermon, all that remains is whether or not you and I will resist him or whether or not we will follow him into that great summer where his kingdom dwells eternal. I pray, Lord knows, I pray that we see him above all else and that our hearts melt and that our minds are renewed and that we run after him this day and finals week and the summer and the rest of our lives and on into eternity. That's my hope as we read the Sermon on the Mount is that we would see the King and that we chase after him. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I thank you for your words. I thank you for the faithful witnesses who recorded them over and over again. I thank you for all the translators and the people who get their PhDs and all this stuff to ensure that we have them, to know that these are the very words of Jesus in the flesh. I thank you for the life that your son lived, God, and the ways in which we can trust him because of what he did, I thank you for the words that he said that show us what life looks like, what we look like, what you, who you look like, and for the promises that he gives us. But most of all, I thank you for putting on flesh, pouring out all of the things that are rightfully yours and becoming a servant in our midst, that we might draw close to you and know you and know your love for us. 
for my friends in this room and for me, would you melt our hearts and renew our minds and help us to see Jesus lifted up before us? May we not follow you just because of a utilitarian idea that we think your kingdom is a better way, although it is. May we not just follow you for that. May we not think we've earned our way in or feel like we have earned our way out. May we see Jesus. May we love him. May we know his love for us. And may that draw us in deeply. And I pray that we would. I pray that every single person in this room would not resist him. But they would follow him. Would you receive this, God, as praise to you? And what we're about to do is praise to you as well.